Let's do this. Hi, Internet. My name is John Matos. I'm a writer, an artist, and a human being. This is my friend Matt Snipes. Please introduce yourself. Apparently, my creative contributions aren't as valuable as John because I'm not attempting to monetize on them. <laughs> That's what I was told before this podcast. So Listen, here we gotta, are. Friendship get... time. Yay. you got to get your hustle going. Listen, John, I've been down that road once. I don't, I'm not going down it again. <laughs> right. For those of you who don't know, we used to do uh, comics together. We had these pipe dreams that one day we would be sitting along the sides of uh, the likes of um, John Romita Jr. And well, I never went that far, but okay. Well, you know, maybe, so, maybe, maybe John, I didn't know what was going on inside of your head. You were always the optimist in the group. <laughs> right. So we did that. Um, and now, instead of working together, we decided, why don't we just talk to, to each other on a podcast? <laughs> I just happen to be the one that made the overlay, and so I also have ads and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, John's um, still trying to capitalize on it, like a true <laughs> capitalist. Because I wrote a book. There's a, the ad right there on the right. I'm going to New York tomorrow to BookCon, if anybody wow. else is going. What is that, less than 60 seconds before the first plug? <laughs> Managed to, manage to control yourself for that long, John. I, I have maybe 10 up. people that read this book. And so if if I have an opportunity to meet one of them and thank them for giving me a positive review, I'm going to do it. Um, but that's just me. I love my followers as opposed to you who were criticizing your Instagram followers. Um, John, they're not, none of them are ever going to listen to this. You can't, you can't <laughs> pin me into a corner about this. All right. Well, talk about pinning you into a corner. The um, topic of this episode is uh, kind of to Matt's chagrin because the the impetus of it was because I was watching And With an E, which is a new adaptation of Man of Green Gables on Netflix. Um, and we both have a sordid history with uh, Christian Chicklet um, being that that's all that was available in the 90s. There was really no... Until Left Behind, there was really nothing in way of Christian books for men. Um, and so <laughs> that that's how this all started, because I realized that instead of it being an Amish romance drama, it's actually about a wee little orphan girl uh, in Canada. And a lot of the story comes from her uh, being like this poor... Uh, poor orphan in a among a people that like have never seen a redheaded child before and don't really trust orphans in general um and so I was like okay part of this is kind of endearing because this is a smart person and she's like you know girls can do anything boys can do like I'm kind of a sucker for that kind of uh character but then all of a sudden she's like way too precocious and like you know it's very it's not the the feminist kind of angle of it is not really veiled at all and so you're like okay i'm just gonna kind of power through this <laughs> um so like i decided that instead of making it all about and it with an e we would start off by talking about superheroes um so do you think thor was a funny movie? Do you think like no? All, all the... Wait, which which Thor's are you watching? So based on Thor one and two, no. I mean Thor one, I I think they tried and it was like okay, so there's some parts that were like mildly amusing. Thor two, I think they went for like the more like sci-fi space epic drama of it, mm -hmm. you know, which I right. felt was more appropriate, and I, I liked that more. I think Thor two was was a much better movie than Thor one. But I didn't think Thor 2 was pretty funny. Now, on the flip side, I think Thor 3, they're, they're 100% going for comedy. Oh, yeah, yeah. As a, as like a huge Guardians, They're Guardians in it up. Hardcore. Yeah, which I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I think Thor is a character who's better served when he doesn't take, it, doesn't take himself super seriously. I think he's you're, he's usually a little better off when he's a little bit more grounded. Well, so I think mean, that was part of the problem. It's because I was trying to ask myself because I, when I was thinking of like when I was doing the and with an E review, I was thinking of like 
to me, a good example of the fish out of water thing is Captain America because he, it, it, like, when I looked at, when I tried to remember Thor and watching it and, like, I was, like, I don't know if, I didn't really take his character seriously because he was kind of like this petulant um, brat character and, mm-hmm. like, you know, the only real, the only real um, conflict in the movie comes from he's this kind of, like, jerky jock type guy and Loki's, like, you know, jealous of him. Um, mm-hmm. And he doesn't really have as much of a character, per se. Like, he's just kind of like, yeah, I'm the god of thunder, and, you know, I'm going to pick up a Earth chick and stuff. It's like, I feel like that detriments the movie, whereas um, the in Captain America, you really get the sense that this is a character who you know, he, he, they show him getting bullied and stuff, and he, you know, is willing to defend uh, other people, even if at his at the cost of his own, you know, safety or whatever. So, like, I I like him a lot more as a character because, you know, um, he seems to have a lot of character, and like even with Iron Man, Iron Man starts off as kind of like cocky and whatnot, but you mm-hmm. because of the transformative you know, experience of the movie, you see him actually taking responsibility for his actions and and doing the right thing. Whereas Storage just kind of like, yeah, I saved the world, no big deal. Um, it's it's kind of whereas like with this new movie, like it seems like they're actually going for a comedy, which I feel like is that is actually better because then there's like no pretense involved. It's like th- this is just going to be a comedy. We're not, you know. You know, there's going to be some pathos in it, but, um, yeah. So, what are your what are your thoughts about like him versus? The, why do you think like maybe Thor isn't somebody's favorite superhero as opposed to like Iron Man and Captain America? Well, I mean, like Cap honestly was in the same boat after the first movie because his first Cap movie was kind of like, I mean, it was good to explain the backstory of the character, but as far as just being an overall, like, I don't know, very entertaining movie. It just didn't really, you, you got like, he, he had a very short progression arc in Captain America. It was like, he was just raunchy. Kid. He's a scrawny kid. And he didn't want to, you know, he always wanted to do his fight, but he they wouldn't let him fight. And he's like, Oh, all of a sudden he gets all these big, you know, muscles and super abilities and all sort of stuff. And he fights these battles, but he's really just the same guy down low, you know, deep down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Captain America, two was far was what really brought that character to like uh-huh. the forefront where it's like oh wow he actually is like an interesting character and can have his own adventures that are really interesting because Captain America right. 2 really challenged uh, that character and changed him somewhat which is why that movie was so compelling uh, Thor uh, Thor 1 I, I I think I think Thor 1 for me was even worse than, than Captain America 1 uh, it was probably my least favorite of all the Marvel movies for a while and then Thor mm-hmm. 2 Thor two, I think the, they they developed the character to an extent that I was satisfied with for that movie. It wasn't the best. It wasn't great necessarily, but I thought it was adequate. Um, the problem with that is that these are the Marvel movies are not really seen as as far as their demographic goes, as far as what people expect from them. They're not really seen as something that are intended to be serious, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not really seen as something to where it's. They're not seen as like compelling, like they're action movies, you know, they're action superhero movies. You don't go to it thinking like, oh, this is going to be an emotionally gripping, compelling, you know, uh, sci-fi drama that has elements of action or you know, action movie that has elements of like this, you know, sci-fi drama. You know, people expect uh, you know, action to be the main draw, but pretty much everything else to be, you know, like a little bit more lighthearted or, or some other element. And I mean, the Captain America 2 kind of changed that up a little bit where they kind of made it more of like they went into like the uh, military niche, you know, like the same the same type of niche that were like the, the Bourne movies, you know, are home to and and stuff like that. Because they went a lot more tactical with it, which I think that was the right route for for that movie. Thor, I think, re- really struggled because they just really didn't know 
what side niche to kind of plant his character in because mm-hmm. they're like okay action is gonna be the main part but like what's the other draw of thor and it's just like uh we don't know it's like right. he's he's asgard he's like from the super advanced society that seems like magical but maybe they're not magical and it's just like how do you put that in a interesting but relatable context like what what kind of genre do you pull from to kind of bring people into because it's not really sci-fi strictly it's not like space battles and stuff like that or Mm -hmm. high technology because there's this strange mysticalness to it but at the same time it's not really 100 percent magic so it's not like a doctor strange type thing like there's elements of that but it's also this weird and it's also let's throw on top of that all this Norse mythology, which is no longer mythology in Thor's world. It's actually like history and hierarchy, and it's the world that he lives in. And it's like, how do you bring the viewer into all of that and keep it interesting and compelling, but at the same time, you know, keep the character relatable? And it's like, Thor was really their hardest. Like Thor was really the, the tallest order for Marvel to kind of bring right. to make off of yeah people always say like you know oh we're talking raccoon like i can't believe they made it relatable but like i don't i never understood that because like that's immediately relatable because a it's it's a cute animal that acts like you know like a guy you know what i mean like a Mm -hmm. like a this it's a gun-toting squirrel like that's that's a very easy character to do in my opinion and like we've seen a bunch of cases where it's like a ragtag team of people that like nobody thought would do anything like that. That to me is a very easy to write as opposed to with Thor. He's just the God of thunder. So like, (laughs) how do you, how do you actually do that? How do you do that in a way like you're saying to be relatable? Um, Well, he's not only, and he's not just the God of thunder. He's also the heir to, a the mystical super advanced kingdom of asgard that right. actually exists on another you know plane of <laughs> right. existence not just like it's in space out there somewhere they're actually on a different dimension of reality and travel on this rainbow bridge that's not really a bridge it's more like a transporter beam but we call it a bridge and for some reason there's a rainbow involved and it's just like everything about asgard is just so it's so like it, from a comic standpoint, it's completely understandable because it allowed them to keep Thor in his own world, doing his own thing, and, and that's where Thor Thor makes the most sense in the context of Norse mythology, and I think that's probably one of the biggest problems that they had going forward is they are trying to bring a character that really only works very well in the context traditionally really only works very well in the context of Norse mythology kept in that world. And they're trying to bring it into this Marvel world and being like, nah, man, like he totally wanted the dudes and it just fits, you know? And it's just right. like, it doesn't really though, because yeah. like when that, remember when they first brought him into the Avengers, it kind of felt odd because it's like, here's cap. He's a super soldier from the forties. Here's Iron Man. He's a dude who made a super advanced suit. But it's still, you know, but like like a mech, like a exosuit type of thing, and here's the Hulk, and he can get really angry because because he did a biological experiment on himself. Oh, and by the way, here's the ancient Norse god of thunder, the heir to a mystical realm on a different plane of existence, who technically has a armies of thousands of hyper advanced Asgardians at his beck and call. Yeah, he's just one of the crew. Yeah, it's I just think like that's very well put. And, and I think I'll use this to transition to Wonder Woman because what I liked about about it, I just saw it not two hours ago, um, was that they made it so that the whole idea behind it was that um, Hippolyta, who is um, Wonder Woman's mother, tells her as a child that we banish the god of war because um, they were threatening humanity and uh, Zeus gave us protection on this island as a reward for saving the humans in that in that time um but now Ares is back and so like you you immediately get this idea that like the the amazon's purpose is to protect humanity 
but because they have safety in on their island, not, you know, Wonder Woman is the only one who actually wants to go out and start fighting again. And the drama comes from she doesn't really understand how war, on a human level, what war is like. And so that's her kind of, like, emotional journey. But, like, you with Thor, it was just kind of like, yeah, I kind of like this girl, so I think I'm going to stick around. Like, it was... Yeah, and, like, I can't pick my hammer up, and it's like, I really want to pick my hammer up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, like, I I think, I feel like Wonder Woman very well did the whole... And, like, I was... So, why I'm bringing it up and what initially made me think about it was, like... I I think you're right in terms of like that's the failure doesn't come from necessarily the humor in it and like the whole fish out of water aspect of it. It comes more from the fact that the only reason he's staying there is because he feels attached to this one woman. And while she's not like she's like a good character, like there's nothing really wrong about her. You don't really get the idea of why they're instantly so attached to each other. And why, and because his character is usually such like a a braggart and like kind of like unrelatable, it's it's very strange for him to automatically just be like, you know, I'm gonna protect all these people, and you know, and fight for them and everything. Um, and and so I think what what I was worried about with Wonder Woman was because it was such a um, like the idea behind it was kind of like this is the first real big, big budget uh, super heroine that we're seeing in the theaters. Like, all these women are hoping that this is going to be great. I, I, I was worried it was going to be too much, like, wink-wink, nudge-nudge girl power type stuff. And mm-hmm. that they were going to lean too heavily on, like, <clears throat> the fact that women weren't, like, able to vote during that time or, like, stuff like that. Because, like, to me, the the intimidation factor and, like, the like, wow, this is Wonder Woman, you know, finally on screen, doesn't come from, like, social justice type stuff as much as it is, like, yeah, she's a woman and she can fight just like everybody else. Like, they don't really have to lean as much on that stuff because it's kind of, like, obvious. Like, it's just, she's Wonder Woman and we can, she she can be just as strong as Superman and stuff like that and that that's all you really need to do. And so I was really happy that that they did that that they just made her a very heroic person so in terms of like watching the other dc movies and seeing what people how many people like didn't like you know man of steel batman vs superman and like are putting a lot of hope into this movie what are your kind of what's your perspective on that like uh in terms of what as what i mean my my perspective on the other DC movies? Yeah, compared to compared this, like, to Wonder are Woman? You, are you looking forward to it in, like, other people, I think a lot of people were saying, like, how they interpreted Batman and Superman was just so different and kind of a, a strange thing, like, taking Superman and, and focusing so much on his alien thing and having Batman and having him be so jaded and, like, shooting people and stuff like that. Are you on that boat with everybody else, or are you... Oh yeah, I mean, as far as Batman and Superman, I, I just felt like they just—it's oh gosh—it's they just managed to mess it up so badly. It's it's just like I don't even know where to start picking up the pieces to try and figure out like okay, this is what you did wrong. Right. Um, because well, from a movie standpoint, I know what they did wrong. Like the editing was way too jumpy. The they they were just constantly cutting to these side stories with no no like very little like. Effort to actually connect the dots and almost no establishing shots and technically i know what's wrong with really wrong with that movie as far as the characters go and just being like okay this is what you did wrong and this is how to fix it that's that's a whole other ball game right uh i think the the biggest strength about wonder woman so far from the movie's perspective and i haven't seen the movie but just by what i've been hearing just based on how i saw her in batman vs superman and how what people have been talking about how the movie's been playing out, uh, and just and like the this, the clips and trailers that I've seen, uh, I, I feel like by far 
she feels like that her character feels like she knows who she is and what she's doing in this in this DC world. Not just like in the world in general, but like in the DCU. It feels like Wonder Woman's place is established. It feels like she fits. Batman and Superman mm-hmm. just feel like weird. Like they're these massive icons and figures in the DC canon, but how they how they bounce off each other and how in this world and how they like the worlds that they try like the the, the little like smaller worlds that they try to shape around them in terms mm-hmm. of like this is Batman's Gotham and this is Batman's Metropolis just feel weird like we like it just doesn't things don't feel natural that's the main thing things don't feel natural with them you know in mm-hmm. terms of like how their character um, behaves how they're explained in the context of the movie and Wonder Woman feels very natural. It's like, okay, this is how Wonder Woman behaves. Okay. That makes sense. And it's like, Oh, this is how Wonder Woman fits into the world. This is how her character connects and relates to the world. And this is what she's doing. It's like, Oh, that, yeah, that makes sense. That works. And Batman and Superman, you're just like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and none of this makes any sense. Like, like there's a, there's a statue of Superman and Batman really, really hates him. Like, like it's just like the, because it wasn't just like he's a threat to humanity, you know. Like he has so much power, he's a threat. It, like it was like there's very little investigation on Batman's part. Where it's like right. we need, I need to figure out like what are because that's Batman's whole thing, you know, his analytical mind. Batman wouldn't just be like he's a threat. I need to eliminate the threat, you know. He would he would go to him. He would he, he wouldn't well he wouldn't go to him. But he'd collect all this footage. He'd, he'd analyze it. He'd note everything about him. He'd, psych, he'd psychoanalyze the guy. He'd try and get to the people that know him personally and talk to them and try and figure out what makes him tick. Like, that's Batman's whole thing. But for some reason, they're like, he's a threat. I must gather all of my arsenal. And because because what? One skyscraper fell? That scene just felt Oh, I hated it so much. The scene where Bruce Wayne started running to the skyscraper and just got that one kid and he's like, Look at look at my look of rage as I turn to the camera. This is my motivation for this movie. Right. Do you see it? It's practically telegraphed. It's just like it felt just so oh, I was like, Oh gosh. Right. And, and and actually to go back to the theme and, and what kind of like set that movie apart as like a kind of misstep is that for some reason they decided how are we going to make the superhero that everybody loves most across the world? Oh, let's make him a very naive screw-up who destroys half of his own city. And so, you know, um, that, that'll that make him relatable. Like, no, that makes him a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, it's just... It's like, I don't know, man. It's really... Superman was always idealist and believed the best in people, but he didn't do it he did, he did it willingly knowing that like like this may not be the smartest move but I choose to not make the smartest I, I know what the smartest move is I choose not to make it because I be, I want to believe in people I want to believe that people can be better and that maybe through this belief and through my actions as a resulting in this belief maybe it'll actually make things better but Superman in the movie is just like nah man Everything's good. Everything I do is good. Everybody's good. Everything's going to be good. I'm just going to do my thing. And, of course, everything ends up horribly or there's a lot of, you know, collateral damage or whatever. Like, that was never Superman's thing. Superman wasn't just dumb and naive and just, be- just like, believed in goodness because because why not and didn't know any better he superman was never the hero with puppy dog eyes where it's just like oh the world's so wonderful everyone just wants to do what's best and i'm just doing what's best and nothing's ever gonna go wrong why is batman so mean it's it's like no that's never the way he was he he understood that things are messed up and that that people can be messed up and now he things but he chose not to act on his on his worst impulses he chose not to act not to become cynical and jaded. That's the hallmark of his character is that he is who he is in spite of the world he lives in. Not, not to, not to, he's just, I don't know why these bad guys keep doing these bad things. It's crazy, man. It's just like, no, he is who he is in spite of it. And through that, that's why he's a beacon of hope. He knows what he knows. The world can be a very messed up and mean place. And, 
people do people get over on people all the time and take advantage of people and no one does anything just to be nice anymore everyone's got an ulterior motive and he's like the the truest altruist you know mm-hmm. he's out there and he's like i know the world's like this and i know these people don't deserve me to save them and i know in a month or two months they're going to hate me but i do it because it's the right thing to do and it's because it's who i it's because of, it's because it's who i am as a hero as a person and maybe through this maybe through my sacrifice and through people seeing me do this maybe they'll be inspired to do the same thing and maybe this example will change things that's always been what superman has always been about but it's just like they just missed that by a country mile in the movie (laughs) it's just it's just like i don't and to me that's Zack snyder in a in a in a a nutshell he just he just doesn't doesn't, yeah, he, as far as he doesn't even have a clue what substance is, John. He doesn't have a clue what <laughs> substance is. But yeah, I, I would say that, like the the stupid thing about it though is that like you could make the case about that being what they were trying to do, but then all the like the whole point about making a movie is that you have the catharsis of you know the 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 superhero gets their comeuppance in the end because them giving that person the the benefit of the doubt ends up being the right decision but instead for some reason they decided that the first movie would be like you know um the people that like superman are happy the people that survived gotham you know or metropolis's destruction they're fine but at the end of the day he's like kissing lois lane in a crater full of you know human skulls (laughs) and it's like you know that's fine but like it didn't feel good to have him be that way it felt like he didn't know what he was doing and you know it would have been justified for batman to like arrest him in the in the next movie um and that's it's just kind of weird they decided how to that that was the way to introduce those two characters but i think wonder woman is is, and what they're doing with her is at least a sign that they understand that um that he they that their, their heroes are the way that they are for a reason and that no no matter no amount of like artificially making them gritty and you know and quote-unquote realistic or i would say more cynical is going to actually get them somewhere as a company in the long run because people don't want to see superhero movies where people where batman shoots people and um, yeah that's not batman dude and and superman lets buildings fall on hundreds of people and just kind of shrugs yeah it's like it can make your superhero world more realistic or gritty but like there's a point to which you can't deny what the characters are about you know you can make the world more realistic or gritty but you just by changing the characters to a point where superman no longer cares about the deaths of innocence which is like his whole thing is he's all about Mm -hmm. protecting the innocent and batman kills people that's his whole thing is his one rule he doesn't kill people it's like like that's like he does everything short of killing people and in the movie he is blatantly kills people it's not like he uh had this huge emotional choice where it's just like if i don't kill this if i don't shoot this dude a child will die people will die uh it's it's like there are bad guys in trucks light them up bat plane (laughs) just like that's like the most un-Batman thing to do, but okay. It's... So to go from one thing that you hate to something else mm. that you hate, mm. um, I, I was I was gonna say this in in my review of this movie. I, I got the opportunity um, to see this well, romantic be- comedy. Before we go on, Dorothy, because I I feel like we 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 we're on the Wonder Woman segment and we spend most of the time ripping on Batman and Superman, <laughs> um, which to be fair. We weren't fixating on the male figures because they're more important. We're fixating on them because it's a lot easier and a lot more satisfying <laughs> to talk about, to complain about what's wrong instead of to to respond to what's what's was done right. You know, it's a lot easier right. to to criticize someone than to compliment someone. You know, no, no yeah. So, if, like, if you if you want to go back to Wonder Woman, that's that's fine. Well, I, I mean, just I to like how much more you had to say. put a cap on that conversation. I feel like Wonder Woman is is the it was DC finally did a character right as far as their cinematic universe and that's wonder woman they finally they, they actually they managed to do it for a while i was worried i'm just like they just don't know what they're doing it's it's obvious they just don't know and i'm and then like wonder woman it's like 
she's like right now the beacon of hope for the DC cinematic universe. Yeah. It's like, okay, they've, they've figured one of them out. There's a chance. It's like that, that, that one number scene. So you're telling, and I'm like a DC fanboy. So I'm like, so you're telling me there's a chance, you know, where it's like, I know odds are they're not going to fix Batman and Superman. Like it, they're, they're, they're probably gone uh, uh-huh. at this point, at least the Henry Cavill Batfleck versions. But yeah. like the Wonder Woman thing is like, at least there's something. We got something out of, well, out of this whole. I would say, I would say, what what made me feel really good is that the first, maybe half of the movie, or like the first, you know, thirty to thirty five minutes, was just kind of focusing on, on, you know, they're focusing on on World War One and her reacting to, um, all the all the horrible stuff that was happening on the front lines and everything, and. Mm-hmm you know she finally gets to the front lines and the chris pines character is trying to tell her like we you know we need to focus on our mission and you know we have a very specific thing that we're doing um and like we can't save everyone and then she's just like you may not be able to but i am and then she goes she climbs over the trenches and everybody in the audience just like erupted in applause because Mm -hmm. It, that that I think is the signifier for what DC comic characters are. They're like gods among men. They're yeah, they're like, the altruists. Yeah. yeah and whenever everybody else is like, you know, trying to, they're going through their like weird inner conflicts and everything. You know, mm-hmm. Superman's already saved about fifty thousand people. You know, in that time. So yeah. that I feel like that's an opportunity that DC's missed out on for a very long time. But I, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy that uh, Wonder Woman, like they, they, they understood that that's what makes her character great, and they let her have this movie before Justice League, which uh, yeah, we, we can all uh, yeah. Uh, let's not talk about that. We can all um, wait for reviews and decide <laughs> when it comes out. But not like what you what you actually just said brought up an interesting point. Um, uh, and not to hijack another discussion, but I know this will this will probably get us onto something something else. Um, but like to me, that was always the primary thing about Marvel and DC is is, is DC's heroes were, and that was the reason why Marvel became successful is because DC's heroes were like so much larger than you know than your average guy, you know, or your average gal. Like they were they were they were like gods among men in the comics. And that was just what we thought superheroes were for a long time, as as as, Amer- as in America as a culture, um, back in the 40s and 50s and stuff. And then Marvel comes along in the 60s and 70s with guys like Spider-Man, and heroes are relatable, and they're like us, they're regular people, and that, and all their heroes were based off of that from the beginning, or right. most of them anyway. And that's why they were massively successful because they were they were well written, well put together characters and stuff like that. Uh, and then you know over time. DC noticed that that's what people were interested in, so DC started to do the same thing. But they did that; they did so with quality writers and, and stuff like that, and so it worked out. And I think it, that was probably the problem with one of the main problems with DCU so far, as far as Batman and Superman and, and, and whatever else they bring in besides Wonder Woman, um, is that they uh, they try to go the Marvel route in terms of the cinematic universe, and if like history repeats itself, where it's like they're DC is trying to humanize their characters again. Like they're trying to bring, cause they're seeing the Marvel movies are really successful. And that's because they're showing these flawed heroes that have issues and they're not perfect. And they're trying to work through them while they're trying to be a hero at the same time. And DC's like, Oh, we got to do something. We get like Superman's Superman's got to be like this. Uh, he's got to be emotionally troubled. Like he doesn't know where he fits in the world and that's got to be his struggle. And right. Batman's just all cynical and jaded and everyone's evil. And I'm the only, and like, like it's just, the war is never going to end. And right. That's got to be his personal struggle. And I feel like that's kind of what killed it. Cause like, and, and, they, and like they missed an opportunity because they come into, they, they introduced Batman well into his career. Um, and I feel like they could have introduced Superman into his superhero career as well and just being like these are what you just said they're gods among men 
while everyone else is going through their personal crap, while Spidey is trying to figure out how to balance Aunt May and Mary Jane in school, and it doesn't, and the New York doesn't care about him. The citizens don't care. Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman are in their world, and they're already saving people. They're not wasting time thinking about their personal issues or whatever because they know who they are, right. and they don't expect things from other people because of who they are. They are who they are, and that comes with sacrifices. But that's it, you know. Like, like, like the cost, like the old Batman kind of cliche is, is the mask is his real face. That's who he is. That's why it always takes precedence. Mm-hmm. So Batman may have personal things going on, but he always puts that aside. He always, you know, there. And I think that that analogy of Wonder Woman is, and I love that they did that in the movie. I haven't seen it yet, and I, I can't wait to see that scene specifically. Is that Wonder Woman goes out and she's like, "You can't do it." But I can. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point behind superhero movies, John, is they can do things we can't. And we want to see them do inspiring things. And to see her say, say like, talk, say someone, we can't save everyone. And she's like, you can't, but I can. Like, that's, like, not just Wonder Woman's thing. That's, supposed, that's like, Batman's thing, Superman's thing. That's the whole point behind the DC heroes is, like, they're always the altruists. They're always the people who will do what's right no matter what, find a way to save the day no matter what. And... Yeah, maybe in terms of 50 plus years, it doesn't make the character super relatable. But when you're booting a when you're when you're booting up a cinematic universe, when you're bringing these characters to the front, everybody knows, everybody loves, you got to put their you got to put your best foot forward and being like, yeah, this is Batman. Yeah, this is Superman. Yeah, this is Wonder Woman. You know who they are. You know what they're about, and you know you know why you love them. It's because they are, will always win the day, even against insurmountable odds. They will always do what's right, and that's that's what DC's always been about. And like, yeah, maybe it's not the most relatable thing, but let's be honest. When Mar- when Marvel first came out with their characters, the the relatable superhero wasn't a thing, and mm-hmm. it was kind of something that people needed in the medium. Where it's just like because the characters at that point have felt so far above us that they were they they weren't even like us. You know, they weren't even like relatable to us at all. That was just like that's that's they're superheroes. That's what they do. You know that that's not really what we do. We're different. And Marvel came along like, no nah, man, like superheroes are like us. They're people too. And that means you can be like superheroes too. That's where the whole relatable exchange came across. But now it's like we've been in an era where every hero's been relatable for the last what 30, 40 years. Every hero story is about them being relatable somehow. Yeah. Maybe we need a little bit of the altruist you know, gods among men, larger than life heroes again. Maybe we need a little bit more of that back now because now it's like the flip side. Now everybody's relatable. Everybody's like us. Everybody's got problems, but they're still heroes too. They're still trying to be, maybe we need a little bit of that old school, like larger than life heroes back. That's Mm -hmm. it. That's my spiel. That's my little... (laughs) You got so excited you were doing like a Mark Wahlberg. I just, I just imagine... Yeah, as I was like, as I was uh, talking, as I was going on my rant, I, I just in my mind I, I picked up a microphone and and, and just like started walking across the imaginary stage. And the spotlight came down, and I was just like, maybe we, you know, maybe we need, I mean, we need, and just just people just just the one guy in the crowd, and then then you know when I finished my point, silence drops, and then nothing. And there's that one guy in the crowd who's like, yeah. And the other guy crying, like, yeah, and just and then everyone just starts cheering, yeah, and just you know like the the slow clap starts going, and then the, the roars clap leads into a roars clapping, and uh, yeah, that's 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 what that was going on in my mind as I was as I was saying that and finishing that point, um, which is a com a common occurrence for me in my in my daily imaginary life. Well, I'm very happy so, for you. Um, I am no, as well. I completely agree. I don't think I can really add anything. Um, but now, now we move on to. John, like, here's the sad part, though. No one, no one, no one DC is listening. No one in DC is ever. <laughs> no, no, no executives. To. No one cares. That's never. It's not going to happen, John. <laughs> I just gave them the plan for success. I gave them the way to save the keys to the kingdom. They will never know about it. And even if they did, they might be like, Nah, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna stick with the Hollywood grit because. <laughs> Suicide Squad, right? Everyone loved that one. <laughs> no comment. Okay, so my next question is, um, because I got to see that preview training of the big sick. I, 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 <laughs> and now for something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, okay, so uh, as you were talking about superheroes, though, it was making me think about how, at the re- and the reason why I kind of tied this into this episode is because I feel like the new the new way of doing comedy is to like completely, uh, specifically like romantic comedies, is to try to take, is to try to sap every kind of like, um, it's it's to make things very awkward and to try to make things hyper realistic it's like the louis ck form of like comedy it's talking about things and being super like um honest quote unquote and like um this is just how my life is you know and so i think what makes this uh kind of a movie like the big sick kind of unrelatable and makes people like you kind of really super hate it is that it's a bunch of like these yuppie people that are like being supported by their parents and they're like whining into a microphone about how like isn't it so sad that i live in in this you know my new york apartment and i can barely do all this stuff like isn't that so funny like <laughs> it's kind of like so that I it already like... hurts i haven't even seen a trailer and just your description hurts it hurts my head <laughs> well so okay so i'm gonna start by saying like i, I kind of feel like um like there are people that look at these comedians in a very idealistic way and so if you like Kamel Nanjiani and his wife Emily Gordon uh, who co-wrote The Big Sick then I think you'll like the movie because you you instantly like their comedy like there's if you're going to see it because you know who they are and you support them then of course you're gonna like it like obviously that's kind of like a no-brainer um Mm. but I'm I'm kind of gonna talk to the people that are you know, kind of skeptical about it. Like I know one draw f- for it for me was I had gone through a, a severe medical trauma and I was wondering how they were going to depict that in the movie. Turns out it's barely in it. <laughs> it's not really the point of it. The point this of huge it, crux of their relationship that really determined their entire future together. It's, it's you know, not a lot of screen time for that. <laughs> because really what it mostly was about was uh, Kumail Nanjiani's parents were trying to arrange his marriage, so like they kept having these. I don't know if this happened in real life, but like the way that he depicts it is that his mom would keep inviting these like single Pakistani women to dinner and try to make it seem like they were just kind of going through the neighborhood. Um, mm. And uh, he, he like he was trying to like break it to them that like. I don't really pray five times a day and I don't really believe in arranged marriage and stuff like that. But it was, it's more about him learning to like open up to his parents about what he actually thinks and, and make that leap of, um, actually dating somebody else that, that aren't approved by his parents. So it's kind of interesting to me that they both co-wrote it and it's mostly about him where like, I guess being in a coma you know, you can't really focus on the other character too much. Um, but I thought it was going to be more about the both of them and not um, not really focus on one one or, or the other. But it was really mainly about him. And that, so that's why I bring it up, because, like, somebody like you who doesn't like that, like, style of comedy where, you know, oh, you know, like, this is the horrible stuff that I'm going through. Meanwhile, they're, like, actually walking by homeless people in New York <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no, you're not that bad. Like your family lives in like the suburbs of New York in like this, you know, gated community. So I don't think you really have it that hard. Um, but anyway, I, all that to say that like you, if you don't like that kind of like New York, um, improv comedy scene and, uh, you're, you're a little skeptical about it, then I would say, to, to probably stay away from it and, and watch more, like, mainstream, like, comedy with uh, an actual premise because that's the one weird thing about it is that they go through it as if, like, there might be, like, a regular 90s, you know, inspirational comedy about to happen, but then it's just mm-hmm. kind of, like, a normal, like, normal life. Like, nobody really says anything too profound, and it's it's not really... It's just kind of like, yeah, that's kind of funny because this is a kind of funny situation. Like, one of the jokes is that on one of their first dates, she has to 
take a dump. Um, and she, uh, is, like, sleeping next to him and realizes she has to go to the bathroom, but she doesn't want to tell him because they're, the, the door on their bathroom is super thin. So she's, like, and then finally she breaks down and tells him and is kind of, like, laughing at her, um, when they go to the, the bathroom in the diner across the street. So, yeah, if that wasn't funny to you, then, <laughs> then it's not going to be a funny movie for you. So, all, all I'm going to ask you is, what is it about comedians that you don't like? Oh, jeez, John. We are paying me into a corner. <laughs> it's like, really so why question. do you hate all people who try to make other people laugh? <laughs> what is wrong with you? But you, you know, were kind of I getting don't... into it before the podcast, but... Yeah, I figured I would ask you, like, I mean, I think a lot of, like, just to preface, like, I think a lot of young people today, in addition to what you were saying, like, thinking they're kind of like the new philosopher or whatever, I think they also look at them as like, you know, it's it's kind of brave to go on stage every night and like actually try to make a living at that job because it's so difficult to get to the point where like Kumail is right now, where where you're actually in a show getting paid and everything so i think that's part of it but is there is that still unrelatable to you or are you just like are you so sickened by how many kind of bright-eyed bushy-tailed people there are that follow them that you can't even stomach like you know no i mean like what's the what's the relatable aspect of comedians like i don't understand how someone getting up on stage every night being brave in that respect how is that relatable to anybody who's not who's not directly doing something related to public speaking or public performance. Well, I think that they're, 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 they have this creative thing that just them sitting down, writing down jokes. And then that night they have to actually like, if I'm a, as a writer, like I can see somebody do give me like a, a bad review, but I don't know. I actually have to sit there and look at the person who doesn't like what I, my ideas and like just them, like, looking at their phone and not paying attention to me is like the active feedback of them kind of hating my creativity. <laughs> so I feel like that is what, that's one reason why, like there are some comedians that I'll follow. Um, and I, I like listening to them talk about the creative process because they, they so viscerally deal with their audience in a way that I, as a writer will never have to deal with. So it's kind of interesting hearing them talk about what, them separating themselves from their work and trying to like, you know, let it speak for itself. And then if something is disappointing, then they change it up a little bit and they, you know, find a new angle at, at things and kind of push forward through that rejection. So I think that's what makes it relatable. That's, that's interesting to me. You mentioned about the one person who looked at their phone while you're up there trying to tell jokes is that hating their creativity because I, I don't know, I, I, that to me is like, I don't, I don't see how that would be hating someone's creativity. At most, I was saying that would be indifferent to their performance. Mm -hmm. But to me, I would see that if I was up there doing that, I would see that like, oh, I'm bombing. I've these, these things aren't funny. I've made a mistake. I need to improve instead right. of just being like, oh, they just don't like me as a person and they just don't <laughs> think what I, what my, my naturally creative mind thinks is hilarious. They just don't see that. And they just hate me. Okay. Well, <laughs> they just hate me. I, I see it as just like, well, okay. I am, I clearly am not as good as I thought I was. I need to work on this. Right. Uh, I need to work on something. Um, but I, I would say that that is the, that is the headspace that a younger person would be in. Oh, hundred percent. When they're, when they're yeah. first getting, when if they like, if especially if they're involved in comedy, seeing somebody that is like performing and 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 fearless enough to like, you know, they're the heckler and they actually turn the crowd in their favor. Like that's kind of like it's cool to see somebody, you know, do that and and manage that and and um, yeah. Yeah, but like, I think I, mm -hmm. we have to realize is that's a. That's a that's a skill they've honed, you know. Right. That's just not like, like they 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 just catch a lucky break or they didn't just like, that wasn't an innate ability that they can just do that and other people just can't. 
that's that's like that's like that's something they you know how many times that they probably were heckled and they didn't turn the crowd or they they weren't able to capitalize on it and they they've picked up things and they've learned things to turn that so when i when i see a skilled comedian do his thing and do that i i see this from the same respect as a skilled artist like when i see a comedian take a heckler and turn the crowd i, I see the same thing when i see an artist you know uh take what looks like a mistake and turn it into like a you know like a or take a take a boring scene in a comic or something and make it really visually interesting and captivating uh i see that as the same respect and i mean i guess i can see how that could be relatable and inspiring in terms of i think you're right when you talked about a younger person because i think that's how younger creatives respond to criticism um is that not not necessarily younger creatives because it can be older people too, uh, that but more inexperienced creatives. And right. I'm just using the term creatives. And I know some people may think it sounds like a buzzword, and I hate buzzwords. I'm just using it to put a lot of people under like one artists, umbrella because it's very relatable. Um, and I think, yeah, like just an inexperienced creative or artist or whatever is when you start to receive criticism, you think it, it, your, your work, what you're putting out there is very personal to you. And it's hundred percent personal up until that point. You haven't learned how to separate your craft from your person or your personality. And so when something that is a criticism to your, to your craft, you take it as an insult to your person, which is probably one of the biggest mistakes you can make. And it's one of the easiest ways to kind of, kill your passion for your craft and kill you kill you know just your enthusiasm for the community uh because you're just like well they just they're just really mean they just uh-huh. hate they just hate my stuff because they hate me they just or they or even worse is they they just don't get it they don't get <laughs> they don't get my right. stuff because they're not me and so it's like no they are probably much more experienced than you which is why you went to them for uh, to, to give it to to show them whatever you're trying to show them in the first place um and they probably brought up some very valid technical points about your writing your artwork your jokes your your music whatever um and i think you know because because we've been doing this for as long as we have and we're not we're you're not really professionals uh as of right now not necessarily and i guess in, in some people's eyes maybe more professional than than your average amateur in terms of in the sense that we're like gathered. making money we're not professional but in the sense of yeah in the uh, sense that of our experience <laughs> you might rate us higher than somebody just starting out yeah i mean i still consider myself an art amateur because i there's just still so much i don't know unfortunately that's when matt's audio took a turn for the worst time of death 10:48 p.m Rest in peace. Sorry about that, guys. We'll make that up for you uh, later this week with another podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you later.